So tonight we're going to do uh, uh, something hopefully a little bit unique um, where we're going to look at the book of Philemon um, and we're going to read it, um, but not, not online, uh, like is it not uh, recorded. That'll be something that we do together, hopefully. Um, uh, and don't worry, the book of Philemon is just one chapter. But uh, if you're not joining us tonight, like, you know, live, uh, I would encourage you after this like five minute directional kind of thing to read the book of Philemon for yourself and see what you can glean from it. Because even though it's like less than one page long, uh, I think it's got lots and lots of different layers to it. That's very interesting and fascinating and wonderful. Uh, but the, the aspect that we're going to take, um, uh, what I'm going to kind of share tonight is going to be from the point of view of, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about Christianity if it's outdated, the Bibles if it's outdated, um, that, you know, it advocates for things like slavery, so why trust in it or whatever. And so the, the slant I'm going to present tonight about the book of Philemon is how it's in, uh, completely against slavery um, and how uh, that, that's not as an aside, but that's rather fundamentally because of what they believe um, in what Jesus did that uh, makes them think that that's a wrong thing. And therefore, how the gospel and the good news of Jesus is actually still very relevant and applicable today. Um, and there's nothing you could say against uh, the Bible um, that the Bible can't kind of rebuff for itself. So um, first, a bit of context uh, into the book of Philemon or the time of that era, because whenever you're going to study a book of the Bible, always know the context. So the context here is that it's written in the first century um, and uh, Rome is the superpower. Um, and uh, if you are a wealthy individual um, in Rome uh, or in, in the Roman Empire, you are automatically a slave owner. Um, uh, there are about 60 or so million slaves during that period of time. So that's about two to three times of Australia's population. Um, so literally a whole country's worth or more of slaves um, exist during this time. And a slave master's uh, um, position or legal status is very, very, like there's no, there's no rights for slaves. Um, if a slave does something wrong, the master can deal with that slave in whatever way they want because they're property. The, the, the slave is that master's property. So this is the context that we find ourselves. And even more specifically, um, this is a letter from Paul to this guy called Philemon, hence the name of the book. And uh, this guy Philemon, he is a rich uh, um, uh, person uh, in the city of Colossae. Um, and he is one of the um, church leaders of the church in Colossae. And what happens, and you can glean this from the book, and I encourage you to read the book yourself, um, is that there was a slave called Onesimus that Philemon had. And this slave, uh, he uh, ran away from Philemon. And it sounds like he probably did something else, maybe stole from him or something like that. Um, uh, and so he wronged uh, Philemon and ran away. And then by happenstance or maybe intentionally, uh, uh, Onesimus ended up finding Paul in Rome. And he became a Christian through Paul's teaching. And, and Paul refers to him as a son um, because he was the person who led him to uh, faith in Jesus. And 
Onesimus then uh, serves Paul very faithfully um, and becomes a partner with Paul um, in his ministry. And then Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossae, back to Philemon. And so this is what the letter is all about, is about Paul acknowledging this very awkward situation of this former slave who did bad stuff to his master and is writing to Philemon to say, hey, uh, you know, this I'm sending him back and he's, he's all cool. Um, and uh, now this Paul is the guy who wrote um, things like slaves obey your masters. Uh, Paul is that guy. And, the, and FYI, a lot of people who view the Bible as like an archaic book that propagates or promotes slavery, they point at passages like that and say, well, look, see, that you know, they don't care about slavery. And yet Paul in this letter is, is doing something extremely different. He's, he's trying to advocate um, for this former slave or this, this slave, or by, by rights, he's still a slave. Um, uh, to be reunited with his former master. Um, and now, if you think that this book, uh, the Bible and the gospel and, and, and these early Christians as primitive, as, you know, they have nothing, they, they don't understand, you know, we're much more progressive now in modern day society. What you miss out is you actually miss out, uh, well, what you think is Paul's solution to this uh, awkward dilemma situation is you think that maybe he'll just say to, to Philemon, uh, just forgive Onesimus and, you know, pat him on the back. And then, you know, you can go back to being a slave and everything can go back to the way it was. You might think that that would be the solution. And yet that's not the solution at all. Forgive Onesimus, but don't just forgive him, welcome him back. And don't just welcome him back as a slave, welcome him back as a fellow brother, as a family member in Christ. Um, and this is extremely, like, we take it for granted now because we don't get it. But, uh, you know, this is extremely against everything, <clears throat> every social norm, every uh, piece of logic that you could, uh, it's just like saying to someone who, who uh, who's, uh, electrical wiring of their house, you know, the power line outside stuffs up and just saying to them, don't worry, you can live without power. Like you can live without electricity. It's just completely like, no, I can't. I need it. I need it for everything. Um, that's the worldview that these people live in. And yet Paul uh, completely flies in the face of that and says, no, um, this guy, he's not a slave anymore. Um, he is your fellow brother and treat him that way. And so how does he go about trying to change Philemon's mind? Or how does he go about, um, you know, getting him to this place? Well, he uses this very special Greek word called koinonia. And that word is partner, it means partnership. Um, uh, and he first starts off by, and again, read the book for yourself. And again, I'm only giving you one slant of this book, one, one angle to look at it. There's many other ways to look at it and many other uh, like, you know, lessons you can learn from it. But um, he uses this word partnership. And first he talks to Philemon and he talks about how uh, Philemon himself is a great partner um, uh, for the kingdom of God, that he's partnered with God and that God is using him uh, in his church at home to do wonderful things and refresh the souls of fellow believers. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that he's doing. Then he talks about his partnership with 
uh, um, Philemon and how they're good friends and how they work to the same, for the same goal of uh, preaching and, and extending the, the good news of Jesus. And then he talks about his own, Paul's personal partnership with Onesimus and how he has come to view him as a son, come to, uh, because of uh, how he led him to Jesus, and also how he's, Onesimus has helped him and served him in his ministry. And then he says, I'm sending my partner to you um, to become your partner. And then he does this wonderful thing where he says, and anything that he did wrong, anything that he, uh, you know, messed up or whatever, any of that bad stuff that he did to you, uh, I, I will take, because we're partners, count it on me, count it on me, all his faults and his wrongdoing, count it on me. And he's not specifically mentioning Jesus here, but the parallels are extremely strong, so strong that Philemon would not, not miss this parallel. And what he's essentially saying is, just as Jesus has partnered um, with us, and because he partnered with us, he had to absorb the cost of what it looked like for us to be sinners and separate from God. He had to absorb the cost of what we did. And when he absorbed that cost, that's when we became or we could become his partner. And so Paul is saying, he's my partner. I want him to be your partner. I'll absorb the cost of everything he did so that it won't be anything to be in your way of trying to reconcile with him or to welcome him as a brother. And then he ends off by saying, I'm sure you'll do this and do more than this. Um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, says bye and peace out. Um, and the crazy thing is from this letter, other than the message, other than the fact that Paul here is advocating that slavery means nothing in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as master and slave. The, the crazy thing is that Paul, the way he's doing this, this is a personal letter. This is not a letter to the church. He, he wrote a letter to the church in Colossians, but this is not it. Um, it this is not a, a letter that he expected anyone else to read. This is a very, and when we read it together, this is a very personal letter. The crazy thing is that he writes this personal letter, he gives it to Onesimus, and he says to him, on your way, go to, go to him, uh, go to Philemon. And the crazy thing is that Paul doesn't just expect things to work out. He has this faith that because of the common faith that they have in Jesus, that Philemon will agree with his point of view. And not only that, but Onesimus seems to have that same faith as well. Otherwise, why the heck would you go back there? Um, and that is groundbreaking, that not only to present this worldview and present this idea that is so countercultural, but then to also uh, present it in a way that's saying, I also stay. And take uh, you know everything, this whole situation on this premise, and to to go through with it. And uh, by all account, we we don't know how this ended up, but by all accounts, we assume it was a successful uh, forgiveness, a successful reuniting, and and then a successful partnership, koinonia between Onesimus and Philemon, um, because this letter was replicated and spread out massively. And uh, again, Philemon was the leader of the church, or one of the leaders of the church in Colossae. So I, I would bet a large amount of money that he was the one doing the replicating and spreading, um, probably first to his own uh, congregation and group of people, and then probably extended out from there. So um, this 
you know, what does this book tell us? Or what's one of the things that this book tells us? Well, for us in our modern context today, it tells us that the gospel is powerful and relevant now as it was then. Um, and precisely because it was so groundbreaking back then, it still echoes and has shockwaves throughout history. Paul, a first century Christian, was essentially advocating for uh, free rights or, or equal rights um, amongst people thousands of years before slavery was abolished. Um, and it's not because he had some great social movement idea or some like, you know, whatever, he was a great thinker. It's because of the message of the gospel. It's because of what Jesus did that he came to this conclusion. And it's because of the message of the gospel and what Jesus did that Philemon, the master, and Onesimus, the slave, also had faith enough to follow through with this, this, uh, this reality. And actually, uh, and also, you can't expect to treat one former slave that way and then go on living the rest of your life exactly the same way. This would have shook Philemon's household to its very core. And I bet you every other one of his slaves would have seen that whole thing go down. And I bet you it would have been a different household. So number one, for our modern context, the, the book of Philemon is a testament to how powerful the gospel is and how relevant it is in every sphere of life and how progressive it is that it was millennia ahead of its time. But the second thing it tells us, I think, from this reading or this slant anyway, is that God's grace and God's uh, desire for partnership um, is radical and beautiful and moving. And it is something that is challenging. Um, and we need to recognize our biases and recognize our response to, to, to his challenge of partnership with us. What, what stops us from partnering with him? What stops us from partnering with others to partner for the sake of the kingdom of God? How do we look at fellow Christians? How do we look at non-Christians? How do we look at people around us? Do we view them for what we can get out of them? Or do we view them for how we can serve them for the glory of God? Because this is a story where Philemon had to look beyond himself, look beyond his own situation to the glory of God and to transcend his own personal biases and his own conception of the world and his own identity. And he had to, to look at, at, God, at the world through God's lens. So who, who do we see um, around us? How do we deal with people around us? And, and how is it promoting uh, the gospel? How is it propagating the glory of God? So that's what I want to share. But um, as we wrap up this recorded segment, uh, hopefully we can actually read it together and see what else we can glean from it. Um, and how uh, less than one page uh, in the Bible can carry so much groundbreaking, uh, beautiful um, implications for our day-to-day -day lives.